Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to Sisters on Air on Voice of Islam Radio, a show hosted by Muslim women where we discuss a variety of issues relating to women, society, and religion. For today's episode, I'm joined by Kutsia Ward and Shazia Bhatti. Kutsia is a retired primary school teacher with experience around the UK and in the Middle East. She's a mother of four and a grandmother too, and Shazia is a solicitor specialising in immigration and also a mother of two. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you both, and welcome to Sisters on Air. Thank you for having me. Yeah, peace be on you too, and it's nice to be joining you today. Jazakallah, thank you. I'm sure many people have heard of the Netflix series The Crown, which has brought the British monarchy to the forefront again of the public eye once more. And more recently, a tour by the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, otherwise known as Catherine Middleton and William Mountbatten Windsor, to Jamaica has raised again the question of the role of the British monarchy and perhaps wider questions of the Commonwealth and the long-standing position of the British crown. And of course, it's without a doubt that today any monarch or any public leader faces massive media scrutiny living their lives in the public eye with every word, gesture and action analysed and criticised. This year, 2022, in June, We in the UK saw national celebrations of the Platinum Jubilee as Queen Elizabeth II marked her 70 years as Queen, the longest reigning monarch of Britain and the Commonwealth. Queen Elizabeth II has seen over 170 Commonwealth Prime Ministers to date and 14 in Britain alone since she succeeded the throne in 1952 at the age of just 25. And perhaps in serendipity, or in divine order, the Lejnati Maila, which is the women's auxiliary organisation of the Ahmadi Muslim community, also marks a very special celebration in 2022. It's 100 years since its inauguration in the small town of Guardian, India, in 1922. So 2022 marks Lejnati centenary celebration. Lejnati Maila is an organisation for women above the age of 15 and it was established for the purpose of the spiritual and moral advancement of women at large for their general education and their understanding of the true teachings of Islam. Lejnati Maila was the first auxiliary organisation in fact to be created within the community by the second caliph His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed may God be pleased with him who was elected as caliph at the tender age of 25 so just like the queen herself. Islam, since its very beginning, has a long-standing history of engaging with monarchies of the time. And historically speaking, the Holy Quran, the Holy Book of Islam, records Prophet Solomon, the son of David, peace be upon them both, inviting the Queen of Sheba to Islam and even documents her acceptance of the faith. The Holy Quran also records other prophets inviting kings and pharaohs and chiefs to accept their message of unity of God and of peace and goodwill. Indeed, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, engaged with the kings and monarchs of his time, inviting them via letters and special envoys to Islam as a means of spreading peace and freedom of religion on earth. And he even wrote to the kings and emperors of the Roman Empire, the Iranian Empire and all the great empires of that time, with this intention of extending the hands of friendship and alliance. So, in this programme, we hope to explore the relationship between Islam, the monarchy and leadership, but more specifically, the concept of the British Crown and the Ahmadi Muslim community, where, as I mentioned, this year of 2022, there is double cause for jubilation, with the Platinum Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II and the centenary of the Women's Auxiliary Organisation of the Ahmadi Muslim community, called Lajnati Maila. So, I wanted to ask you first, Shazia, if I can come to you first. What is the historic relationship between Islam and royalty? And what is the purpose and the status of honouring reigning monarchs in Islam? Well, as I hope we all know now, that Islam is a religion of peace. 
based on the concept of the unity and authority of God and the responsibility we all have to God and to, all, to each other as well. The Holy Quran gives us all guidance so that we can achieve our purpose, which is to know God and to live lives of peace with each other. The Holy Quran tells us about the success and failures of the past so that we can learn how to structure our lives successfully in the future. Among the stories in the Holy Quran are the stories of prophets speaking to their rulers of their time. For example, Noah and Abraham, peace be upon them, speaking to their chiefs. Joseph, peace be upon him, addressing the king. Moses, peace be upon him, speaking to the Pharaoh. And as you mentioned, Melissa, Solomon, peace be upon him, speaking to the Queen of Sheba. These examples were followed by the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be on him, during his lifetime in the 7th century. After settling in Medina, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, sent letters to different rulers inviting them to Islam. One such letter was sent to the Emperor of Abyssinia, who was a Christian, and it ran as follows. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, from Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, to the Negus of Abyssinia. May peace of God be on you, O Emperor. I praise before you the one and only God. He and none other is worthy of worship. He is the King of Kings, the source of all excellence, free from all shortcomings. He is the protector of all his creation and provides peace to his servants. I bear witness that Jesus, son of Mary, was a messenger of God, who was given to her because of her devotion to him and the fulfilment of the promise made by God to her. And I invite you to join me in worshipping the one and only God. I invite you also to follow me and believe in the God who sent me. I invite you and your armies to join the forces of the Almighty God. I hereby have discharged my duty as I have delivered to you the message of God. And I have done so with a sincere heart and hope that you will value the sincerity which prompted this message. Whoever obeys the guidance of God receives the blessings of God. And that was the end of the letter. But when this letter reached the emperor, he showed great respect for it. He took it into his hands held it to his eyes and placed it reverently in an ivory box, saying, As long as this letter is safe, my kingdom is safe. And what the emperor said proved true. And though the Muslim empire extended as far as India and China in one direction, and Spain and Morocco in the other, the Negus continued to rule Abyssinia without any interference. And this is really interesting, and this is what, what he said, is that as long as this letter is safe, my, my kingdom will be safe, and it continued to be. Um, whereas it was a different situation with the Emperor of Iran and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, wrote a similar letter to the Emperor of Iran and when the letter reached him, he ordered an interpreter to read it to him. When the contents of the letter were explained to him, he rose in anger, took the letter in his hands and tore it to pieces. When this was reported to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, he said, what the Emperor has done to my letter, God will do the same to his empire. But the king's fury was not over. He ordered the viceroy of Yemen to send soldiers to arrest the holy prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, and bring him to the court of the emperor. So again, going into another, another country, another territory in order to do so. And he gave them a letter addressed to the prophet saying that he should accompany the messengers without delay. On reaching Medina, the officers told the holy prophet, peace and blessings be on him, the purpose of their visit. They told him that if he refused to accompany them, he and his people would be destroyed. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, of Islam, listened to them and told them to see him again the following morning. During the night he prayed to God Almighty and there came a revelation. The son has murdered his father this very night. In the morning when the two soldiers came, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings on him, told them what had been revealed to him. He also gave their letter in reply addressed to the Viceroy of Yemen, mentioning the death of the Emperor at the hands of his son. When the viceroy received this reply, he said, If this man is a true prophet, it will be, as he says, 
and if he is not, God help him and his country. Soon after, dispatches from Iran confirmed the news that the Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, had conveyed to the Viceroy. It also contained directions revoking the order of the previous Emperor for the arrest of the Prophet, peace and blessings on him. The Viceroy was so ex- impressed that he and many of his friends accepted Islam. Thank you, Shadi. That's so interesting. And you, you know what? You can definitely see from the emphasis on peace building and the outreach that the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, was at the forefront of extending that hand of friendship, it seems, an alliance to all the neighbouring empires for the purpose of peace building and inviting them to understand the peaceful message of Islam, which is the true message of Islam to Muslims in that time. Is there any evidence, though, to see the promised Messiah, peace and blessings of God be upon him? Did he do the same thing? Well, the Diamond Jubilee of Her Majesty Queen Victoria was celebrated with great pomp and show in June 1897 um, throughout the UK and, of course, throughout British India. Since the purpose of the advent of the promised Messiah, peace be on him, was to propagate the unity of God and his message, he found a way to serve those objectives at that occasion. He wrote and published the book Dofaya Kesriya, which can be translated as The Gift for the Queen, on the 25th of May 1897. In addition to felicitating Her Majesty, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, made the following points with great subtlety and wisdom in his book. He talked about the truthfulness of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings on him. He talked about the truthfulness of Islam and its teachings that can bring about an international peace. He gave a proposal for Her Majesty to organise a conference of great religions. And this is really interesting because, again, it's about um, bringing people together and finding things in common in different religions rather than focusing on on differences, as it were. Um, He gave a strong plea for Her Majesty to clear Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, of the accusation of having been cursed. And he gave an undertaking to show a sign of his own truthfulness, provided that Her Majesty would agree to accept his message in case of fulfilment adding that he would accept the death penalty if he is unable to show a convincing sign. So, throughout history, prophets have set an example of respectfully addressing monarchs and leaders to convey the same message conveyed to others, that God is supreme um, and that all people, kings, queens or common men, should be aware of their responsibility to him and his authority over them. And the purpose is to create a peaceful society where stability and order is maintained, because everyone fulfills their responsibilities and has their rights recognised so that the progress without frustration is possible for the whole of society. You know, Islam places you know, great importance on the loyalty to one's nation and respecting those in authority. And in the Holy Quran it states, O ye who believe, obey Allah and obey his messengers, messenger and those who are in authority over you. And that's what is referred to as the leaders. And if you differ in anything among yourselves, refer it to Allah and his messenger, if you are believers in Allah and the last day, that is the best and most commendable in the end. And that's from chapter 4, verse 60. So examples of this um, having to um, accept and follow and obey your leaders is given in the history of Islam as well. And at the Battle of Uhud, which was the second battle that the Muslims took part in at the beginning of Islam. And upon reaching the area of Uhud, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings on him, positions 50 Muslims over a hilly pass and strictly instructed them not to move from that point under any circumstance. The remaining Muslims fought gallantly with the huge Meccan army and forced it into retreat. But seeing this, the 50 Muslims who were guarding the hilly pass, after some argument between them, decided to join the rest of the Muslims. So they didn't obey the leader um, and they decided what they thought was best. 
But their attack was ferocious, and as a consequence, majority of the Muslims fell fighting. So this was a lesson to the Muslims at the time, and for all times, that if you're given an order by those in charge of you, you may not know what the reason for that order is, but you must obey it because you do not know the consequences of disobeying. And of course, that was um, the Holy Prophet that was giving the order, but the same or, the same um, principle is given to anyone in in um, position of authority over you. Um, and the Holy Prophet has said um, that the love of one nations is a part of faith because that's how we can um, create a, a peaceful society. If we all uh, love our nation, we all want to do better for that nation. Absolutely. So the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Bashir Din Mahmud Ahmed, he commented on that verse that I've said and he said, the practice of the Holy Prophet as well as his sayings makes it clear that in secular matters, Muslims should obey even of such rulers that are not Muslims. So that's quite an important thing because I think sometimes some Muslims uh, in the UK, they believe that they don't have to obey if their ruler is not a Muslim. But this is yeah. clear that whoever is the ruler has to be obeyed. Um, and His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmed, the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community said, a true Muslim can never raise his voice in hatred against his fellow citizens, nor for that matter against the ruling authority of government of the time. And it is the responsibility of a true Muslim that he should remain loyal and fully abide by the laws of the land to which he, of which he is a sub subject. So again, I think, you know, this is an interesting point, isn't it? That to create this peaceful society that Islam wants us to create, um, we can't, you know, put a hat, put, you know, stand against our fellow citizens, or our rulers, otherwise there will never be peace in our society. Um, and His Holiness also said in an address at the military headquarters at Koblenz, Germany in 2012, thus sincere patriotism is a requirement in Islam. To truly love God and Islam requires a person to love his nation. It is quite clear, therefore, that there can be no conflict of interest between a person's love for God and his love for the country. As love for one's country has been made part of Islam, it is quite clear that a Muslim must strive to reach the highest standards of loyalty to his chosen country, because that is a means of him reaching God and becoming close to him. I found this really interesting because yeah. we often don't see that to become close to God, you have to love your nation. Yeah. It seems so um, kind of wide, um, widely kind of set aside from each other. But actually, when you think about this quote, it's clear, isn't it? It's so clear that to live peacefully is what we are trying to do in, in our religion. And to live peacefully, we have to then have peace within our community. We can't have peace within our community if we don't love that community from which we're living. And the same goes Absolutely. to the nation. Um, and then on the 26th of September 2014, His Holiness said, Every Ahmadi Muslim knows that it is his or her duty to protect all religions and to show love and loyalty to the country in which they reside. And these are the true teachings of the Quran. Again, you know, it's just the same again and again, isn't it? There's no difference to what we're saying. Absolutely. I mean, we talked earlier about the tradition in which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, explains that loving one's nation is part of the Islamic faith, which you mentioned so well, Shazia, thank you. And in addition to this, the promised Messiah, His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, also declared, and I quote, obedience to governmental authority is one of Islam's imperatives. So can we just discuss a little bit further about what this means in terms of obedience? And can you can you just explain a little bit, Kutsia, for me, what this means? Well, I can give you um, a comment, a quote, which was written by the uh, Promised Messiah, peace be on. And this is what he said. 
to entertain ill will against a government under whom life is lived in freedom and there is complete security and religious obligations can be discharged to the full is a criminal step and not jihad. Thus, God Almighty had established me on the principle that sincere obedience and gratitude should be rendered to a benign government, such as the British government. My community and I are bound by this principle. And he wrote that in the book which was called A Gift to the Queen in 1897. The Promised Messiah, peace be on me, also said, and he has written in his book Noah's Ark, I do not indulge in any flattery of this government. Rather, in the light of the Holy Quran, it is prohibited to wage a religious war against a government which does not itself interfere in the religion of Islam or religious practices. Nor does it draw its sword against us in an attempt to promote its own religious beliefs. The reason for that is that this government itself is not waging any religious war. So I think, you know, where you can practice your religion in peace and without interference from government, you have to be grateful to that government and you have to work for the strength and betterment of that society. So the purpose of the celebration is the gratitude over the freedom to practice one's faith in a society where citizens have freedom to practice their faith, it's more likely they've got other freedoms too. And it's therefore to maintain the freedom and the peaceful society that obedience and working for the benefit of the community is wise. Absolutely. I mean, you spoke a little bit, Kudsia, about uh, you know, waging a war against the government or um, direct opposition to the government. And I guess this begs the question then, what if, you know, one's country or the monarchy or one's leaders is unsupportive or to go a bit further, actively prevents you from practicing faith and the freedom of, of religion in general? Should you still then be loyal to that country or that leader in that circumstance? Well, again, this is Islam, the religion of peace. And the guidance and the advice of the Holy Quran is very interesting, and we could probably have a whole show on this. <laughs> Historically, it can be seen in the lives of the prophets recorded in the Holy Quran as an example for us to follow. But such prophets as Adam, Noah, Job, Abraham, and Moses, peace be on them all, and indeed the Holy Prophet Muhammad himself, and peace and blessings be on him, they all had to leave the land in which they lived due to opposition and persecution from tyrannical leaders. And they emigrated to a place where they did or they could have freedom to practice their faith. So Islam does not promote the idea of taking up arms against national leaders. Despite what you see and hear on the media, Islam is a religion of peace. So if the national leaders, the monarchs and the political parties are not opposing you, you can't um, have any complaint. It promotes the idea of justice, equality, and peace through education. And the purpose of the letters which the prophets gave to those leaders was to educate the ruling parties of the peaceful teachings of the Islamic faith. But if the leaders are persistent in their persecution or unwilling to allow this freedom, then Muslims are encouraged to leave that place to emigrate and seek homes in another place 
to live peacefully there instead. The Holy Quran speaks on this matter, and in particular, it states, those who believe and emigrate from their homes for the sake of God and strive in the cause of Allah with their property and their persons shall have the highest rank in the sight of Allah, and it is they who shall triumph. And that's a quotation from the Holy Quran, chapter 9, verse 20. This is what the Quran tells us was done by prophets in the past. And it tells us about their success in practicing this. Thank you. Um, that really beautifully explains how Islam is a religion of peace and, and how in practice it shows shows that in, in turn. So the promised Messiah and the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him. So he was born at a time when the British were ruling in India, as was mentioned earlier. And in 1857, the British government took over the administration of India from the privately owned East India Company and the Mughal Emperor Bahadur Shah Zafar was deposed and the title of Empress of India was then offered to Queen Victoria and she eventually accepted that title in 1877 and she was known in India as Her Imperial Majesty. Now, it's alleged by some opponents of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, that he and members of his community were disloyal to India by being agents of the British government. So we'll talk a little bit more about this now. But this accusation arose due to the good natured relationship and the respect that they had with the British officials at that time, who were the British government and, of course, Queen Victoria and Britain at large. And this allegation is still raised today. So, on celebration of her Diamond Jubilee in June 1897, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wrote a a book, which we've quoted a few times now, called A A Gift for the Queen. And this book conveyed to the Queen directly the message of Islam and the appreciation of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, for the opportunities that the British administration of India gave to him to preach his message peacefully. So can we explain a little bit more about what this relationship was and explore the interactions that that were had between the Promised Messiah, peace and blessings of God be upon him, and Queen Victoria? Kutsi, I'll come to you. Well, as you can imagine, there were many tensions between different religious groups in India. Sikhs, Hindus and Muslims had struggled for supremacy and power over many years. And there was a history of changing power between different parties. And that created jealousy and resentment with each party, each favoring its own co-religionists when in power. The growing resentment of the Indians to the authority of the British East India Company eventually led to a violent rebellion, which resulted in the slaughter of soldiers and civilians and created an uprising. So following this, the British government directly took control of India from the East India Company, and that was in 1857. And they installed government systems, government laws, and administrators across the country. And they were all accountable, of course, to the British Parliament and the British government. Whereas in the United Kingdom, the Church of England reigned supreme, and the Queen was head of that church, in India, this did not apply. Most Hindus followed, most Indians followed the Hindu religion, but there was also a sizable Muslim population and Sikhs too in the north. And this eliminated the power of the Church of England in the country. Queen Victoria was very sed- 
um, sensitive to the people of India and she was adamant that freedom of religion should be observed in that country and having respect for the Indians and their various religious beliefs. And she said that the lack of religious freedom threatened to undermine the native religions and customs, she said. And I'm sure she was aware that if they were not allowed to practice or interfered, then there would be more uprising. When Queen Victoria and the British government came to preside over India, this was a source of joy for the promised Messiah, peace be on him, because now freedom of religion, freedom to preach and practice one's faith became a reality. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, and reformer of the age, His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, in the book titled The Gift of the Queen, wrote, Muslims of British India live comfortably under this government as they have the power to propagate their religion freely and to carry out their religious obligations without hindrance. And he went on to say, O Empress and the Honoured Queen, our hearts bow before the Almighty, praying for your majesty, and our souls prostrate before the one God for your honour and safety. O honoured Empress of India, we congratulate you from the bottom of our heart and soul on the occasion of the Jubilee celebration and pray to God that he may reward you abundantly for your beneficence that has reached us through your benign government and through your peace-loving administrators. We consider your being a great blessing from God for this land, and we regret that we cannot find words to adequately express our gratitude. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because although he, he praises the Queen, it all comes back to God. Yeah. And it's not we're praising you for your personage or for what you do, but we're praising God for putting you in this position to give us these freedoms. It's, it's very interestingly worded. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like a, a, a prayer within a letter, yes. which is so beautifully put, I think. Thank you. Thank you both for this. And I think now we're going to just take a time for a quick break. Do stay with us as we continue our discussion on Islam and the British crown. Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Musrul Ahmad has said, Remember, following the crowd and bowing to the influences of society is not freedom. Rather, True freedom is having the strength to follow your beliefs and to act upon your convictions. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back. You're listening to Sisters on Air on Voice of Islam Radio. I'm Melissa Amadi, and in today's show, Kutsi Award and Shazia Bhatti and I are discussing the relationship between Islam and the concept of the monarchy and leadership, but most specifically, the concept of the British Crown in this year of the Platinum Jubilee of Her Majesty the Queen, Elizabeth II. So I want to pick up from something that was mentioned before and we keep referring to this book, A Gift by the Queen or Gift to the Queen rather, written by the promised Messiah and the reformer of the latter days, His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him. 
And in this book, he said that it would, and I quote, for the good of humanity, a conference of religions be held by the Empress of, by the Empress of India to disseminate the reality of religions, end quote. So earlier, we, we can see in 1896, a conference had been convened in Lahore, which is modern day Pakistan, but in India at that time, by a Hindu gentleman for the purpose of bringing together all the major faiths together to discuss their faith using only their holy scriptures to testify to its truth. And for me personally, as a convert to Islam Ahmadiyyad, the book produced of the text, which was the lecture written by the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him himself, which was incidentally delivered by one of his companions during that conference. This book was published later as The Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam. And that book was invaluable to me on my journey to discovering the truth and also deepening my conviction in my beliefs that Islam Ahmadiyyad was was the truth for me. And two years later, after this, this book, the first book to Queen Victoria was published, the Promised Messiah then published another one or penned another one called A Star of the Empress, in 1889 with a very similar theme to a gift to the queen and in our current time the current worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community has written to all of the heads of states including the Queen Elizabeth II currently with this very same message and specifically on the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in June 2022 His Holiness sent a message and if I may quote upon the joyous occasion of the Platinum Jubilee I present my heartfelt and sincere congratulations to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II it is my sincere prayer that may God Almighty, through his grace and blessings, keep our honoured Queen forever safe and grant her continued good health, prosperity and happiness. May the noble Queen continue to reign with benevolence and may the attributes of justice and freedom forever remain the guiding principles of the British monarchy and may God always guide and grant success to Her Majesty and her progeny. Amen. End quote. I mean, this, again, is such a lovely um, message to give to the Queen. Um, and again, um, when His Holiness said this message, you know, the attributes of justice and, and freedom are so important because Absolutely. that's what the premise of what the promised Messiah said was that because we've got justice and freedom um, in India, you know, there was no need to revolt or, or do anything against it. So that's that's really, really interesting. Um, and this tradition of the World Conference of Religions has been continued over the years. And when the promised Messiah, peace be on him, passed away, the successors who came after him, called the Caliphs, supported the Queen by way of partaking in the Conference of Religions, and this tradition was continued in 2012 for the Diamond Jubilee of the Queen, to which the Queen responded via letter to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to thank them for their continued efforts. So if we look at things with a historical lens, you can see that this concept of Islam, building cordial relations as rulers and monarchies of the time, has always been there. And today, the Caliph or Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmad, is the world's leading Muslim figure, promoting peace and interreligious harmony. Through his sermons, lectures, books and personal meetings, His Holiness has continually advocated the worship of God Almighty and serving humanity. He also continually advocates for the establishment of a universal human rights, a just society and a separation of religion and state. Um, and this is quite unusual for a religious leader to to, to want that the the separation of religion, but that is part of, of what Islam teaches us. And since being elected Khalifa, His Holiness has led a worldwide campaign to convey the peaceful message of Islam through all forms of print and digital media. And under his leadership, national branches of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community have launched campaigns that reflect the true and peaceful teachings of Islam. 
Ahmadi Muslims all over the world are engaged in grassroots efforts to distribute millions of peace leaflets to Muslims and non-Muslims alike. They host interfaith and peace symposia and present exhibitions of the Holy Quran to present its true and noble message. And these campaigns have been received worldwide media coverage and demonstrate that Islam champions peace, loyalty to one's country of residence and service to humanity. In 2004, His Holiness launched the annual National Peace Symposium in which guests from all walks of life come together to exchange ideas on the promotion of peace and harmony. And each year, the symposium attracts many serving ministers, parliamentarians, politicians, religious leaders and other dignitaries. And, of course, you know, the common man, as it were, um, the common man and woman. And, and there are so many people that attend and learn so much from, from these lectures. And in 2009, and this was very interesting, that His Holiness launched the annual Ahmadiyya Muslim Prize for the Adma Advancement of Peace which is an international peace award for individuals or organisations that have demonstrated an extraordinary commitment and service to the course of peace and humanitarianism. And His Holiness has spoken in many different um, countries and to different, different um, governments. And in 2012, both the United States Congress and the European Parliament benefited directly from His Holiness's message of peace, justice and unity. And again, this... Um, it kind of follows through the, the theme of peace, justice and unity and that is followed through throughout all of his lectures. On the 27th of June 2012, His Holiness was welcomed to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where he delivered a keynote address entitled The Path to Peace, Just Relations Between Nations, to an audience filled with more than 30 members of the United States Congress. In conjunction with this historic event, a bipartisan resolution was introduced in the House of Representatives in honour of His Holiness's visit. And His Holiness has travelled globally to promote and facilitate service to humanity. And he regularly meets presidents, prime ministers and other heads of state, parliamentarians and ambassadors of the state to provide them and to teach them the, the message of Islam. Well, we can see that this is such a vast scope. I don't think we, we see of any other individual in the world currently that promotes peace on every single level from the grassroots all the way up to political leaders and world leaders. So that is something that is incredible to see in His Holiness. Um, Kutsia, if I come to you, the Queen, as the head of state in Britain, is also the head of the Church of England. Is there any such example or similar example of women in leadership in Islam? Well, I think many people think that women in Islam are, are uh, inferior in some way or restricted in some way, and that isn't true. But as far as the Queen is concerned, included in her official titles is the title Defender of the Faith. And this title, Defender of the Faith, has been the title of Kings and Queens of Great Britain since Henry VIII's time, when he separated the Church of England from the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century. Nowadays, this is a title of respect. Administration decisions of the church in England are made by others, led by the archbishops of Canterbury and York. But Queen Elizabeth herself is seen and known to have a strong personal faith, and that has helped her in her 70 years as Queen. She's often shown on TV attending religious services at different times of the year in different places around the UK, but that's a personal faith. On her 21st birthday, in a message broadcast from South Africa, she made a promise. She promised, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service 
and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. But I shall not have strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join in it with me as I now invite you to do. And I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good my vow and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. Her desire was to serve, her desire to serve was repeated this year when she said, in this year of my platinum jubilee, it has been, it has given me pleasure to renew the promise I made in 1947 that my life will always be devoted to service. And I find this very interesting because this concept of service, of duty and obligations, even of those with the utmost authority and the highest of ranks, is at one with Islam. And it's often repeated by our present Khalifa when he speaks to office holders of the community and all the trainees, that though they may have titles and they may be in positions of authority, that position is a position of service. But when we're speaking about women in Islam, there is one title which is perhaps too vast to cover, but briefly here. The most highly revered women in Islam are often referred to as mothers of the believers. And this is because of their piety, scholarship, knowledge, and their example for all Muslim women. And I'd like to present a couple of examples of such honorary queens. Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, the first wife of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, was also the first person to accept the message of Islam. She had recognized the noble character of the Holy Prophet, peace be on him, and proposed her own marriage to him. She devoted her life to helping him. She was already a wealthy businesswoman, and she had made her money through her skill and intellect. She had developed her business trading along the lucrative ancient routes around Mecca and throughout the Levant. On her marriage, she gave all this to Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, all her property, all her worldly riches, to use as he wanted. This was a degree of her devotion to him and her trust in him. Later on, her wealth was used by him to invest in the propagation of the faith and to secure the rights and service of the neediest people in the society. Aisha, may I be pleased with her, was another such pioneer in Islam. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be on him, said that half the faith can be learned through her, her scholarship, intellect and leadership. Aisha, may I be pleased with her, was the daughter of his good friend Abu Bakr. She was the third wife of the Holy Prophet, his blessings be on him. And she's called by Islamic sources, Umul Mu'minin, that's mother of the believers. And she might be called the first great scholar in Islamic history. She was not only a devoted wife, but also she had a fundamental role in the growth of the Muslim community. After the death of the Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, for about 44 years, in the early days of Islam, she was the fount of experience and wisdom, conveying the teachings of Islam to others as she had learned it from the Holy Prophet herself. Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was extremely sharp and intelligent, 
with an intimate personal knowledge of the example and teaching of the Holy Prophet. May Allah be pleased with him. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. Many companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, would come to her for his advice following his death. So this legacy and history of strong women is clear when we look at the Islamic past, and it can be continued today. But there are many Muslim groups who don't seem to understand this. And in spite of the practice of these groups, from the very beginning, Muslim women were encouraged to be active in their community, to help them develop. And of course, for this education, both secular and religious were necessary. And as the Holy Quran teaches, Knowledge and study are the right of all, men and women, without restriction. And this is as true in the present day as it was in the time of Khadija and Aisha. And it's the work of the Lajan Imaila in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to help women achieve their full potential and make themselves assets for their communities in all ways. From the very beginning, the Lajan Imaila has been helping women to gain and improve their education. And it's such a shame when you see the Taliban in Afghanistan not allowing girls to go to school when, you know, they deem themselves to be Islamic scholars and yet they fail to recognise, you know, the role that Hazrat Aisha, that, um, you know, Khadija played in the history of Islam and, and what Islam says about knowledge and education. Absolutely. I mean, these were core women. When, we, when we're speaking about women of the past and the present, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, himself said that Islam, it's as though women have been placed on thrones. And he said this in his um, collection of say, uh, phrases in his book, Malfuzat. And you can see that Islam gave women at every state, stage and state the status of queens, which was granted through the safeguarding of women's rights. And when we talk about this, I mean, just beyond the arbitrary fairness of, you know, equality, Islam takes care of women, I think, in fact. And this is shown through the organisation of the Lajna Imaila, which is the women's auxiliary organisation of the Ahmadi Muslim community, which is talked about so beautifully and at length in another episode of Sisters on Air. And I'd definitely encourage anyone, everyone to listen to that. It's the centenary special. And in brief, it's a completely female organisation and its structure is purely for the continuation of the advancement of ladies themselves um, in their entirety and, and society at large through its activities. So, Kutsia, how is this community celebrating these two events? So we're talking about the Queen's Jubilee, but also the Women's Auxiliary Organisation, the Lajna Imaila um, pl- uh, Jubilee as well, of 100 years since its inception. Yeah, I think that the Ahmadiyya women, Ahmadiyya Muslim women, are very blessed to have been empowered to organise, administer and expand their own auxiliary organisation. So they've been given freedom to have this structure, to look after it, to man it and develop their skills in doing that from its beginning. Now, when you understand that its beginnings were in 1922 in a small Indian town of Kardian, and that from that, the Lajna has expanded so that wherever the community exists around the world, there are branches of Lajna Imaila. And the women are encouraged to gain knowledge and experience in high academic skills. They're encouraged to hold positions of responsibility in the community. And if they have the opportunity in the, commun- in the, um, the external community at large to serve the community and the nation in positions 
such as president of the association. That can be locally, regionally, nationally. They can be selected locally and approved by the Khalifa. And within Lajrimah, there are many other roles that women can take up with their own experience that they have already or to gain experience that will help them in other areas. So they are empowered and encouraged to be active in all areas of community life. They could be secretaries with responsibility for publication, for finance, for education, social welfare, amongst other things. Women can develop their own skills and help other women to become active with knowledge and understanding of Islamic teachings and how to implement them. And one of the important things that the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association helps women to know is the rights that Islam gives them. We're not looking for rights from everywhere else because we know that Islam is giving us those rights and to stand up for those rights. So this special centenary year for Lajna Imala, each national group around the world has selected a project to mark and celebrate the centenary. And led by our national president, Dr. Fariha Khan, who guides and leads the UK Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, celebrations have included building a maternity hospital in Sierra Leone. Now, a United Nations report through UNICEF says that the maternal mortality rate in Sierra Leone is the high, among the highest in the world, with 1,360 mothers dying in every 100,000 live births. I mean, this is a lot for women to bear and families in general. The mortality rate of newborn infants and children under five are amongst the highest globally. And these figures represent the real and pervasive challenges that women and children face in Sierra Leone with poor healthcare practices and unfortunately with some substandard and ill-equipped healthcare facilities. Now Sierra Leone has seen marked improvements in mothers, neonatal and child healthcare coverage, yet the increased service use has not always translated into positive health outcomes. And this raises concern over the quality of the care offered at all levels of the system. So Lajan Imala UK became aware that tackling this maternal mortality rate and leaving, meeting the global target of reducing the ratio to fewer than 70 per 100,000 births by 2030 remained a key concern for the government of Sierra Leone. And it's the aim of the Lajan Imala UK to fund the building and the staffing of a modern maternity hospital as part of its centenary celebration. Now the building is well underway and ladies from the UK are already in university and colleges and hospitals training in those medical specialities needed to support the hospital. They're ready to devote their lives in the service of others. And their aim will be not only to provide high quality care to the mothers and babies, but also to provide training and experience to local medical staff involved in the nation's healthcare provision. In addition to this focus project, the Lajna Imala members are also contributing to different projects organized through Humanity First to provide clean water, model villages and orphan care around the world. But the other thing that Lajna do is not only looking overseas and helping people overseas, but we do an awful lot to support British charities. And this year in the UK, 
Lajna Imala local branches have been planting trees all across the country as part of a pledge of planting 100,000 trees to mark the Lajna Imala centenary. This has been done in places in cooperation with other groups as part of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee Scheme. So the Queen's uh, wish was that we should have a scheme of planting trees and they called it the Queen's Green Canopy. So all over the UK, everyone from individuals, scouts and girl guide groups, villages, cities, county schools and corporates will be encouraged to play their part to enhance the environment by planting trees during the official planting season between October and March. Tree planting will commence again in October 2022 through to the end of the Jubilee year and Lajna associations across the country will be joining in. As I have. Have you, have you also joined in with that? I yeah. planted quite a number of trees as well. We did and too. And it's such a nice thing that we would never have known to do this had it not been for Lajna and Milo encouraging us to do these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think to wrap up then, I think it, it can be shown that both the Lajna Imali centenary of 100 years and the Queen's 70-year Platinum Jubilee of her royal reign are both causes for celebration. And that celebration is celebrated in two ways. To serve both our country to the best of our ability and in exercising our right to freedom of faith and religion. So before we end, I'd just like to read some excerpts from the text of the book, which I mentioned earlier, Give to the Queen. And I think I would encourage everyone to read that book in its entirety as well. And I quote from the Promised Messiah's words, My utmost desire is to transfer the certainty with which I have been blessed to the hearts of others. My desire is agitating me as how to inform Her Majesty, the Empress of India, concerning these signs. I am standing as the true ambassador from Hazrat Jesus, the Messiah. I know that what it is being taught these days about Christianity is not the true teaching of Hazrat Jesus, the Messiah. I'm certain that if Jesus had come in the world again, he could not even recognize these teachings, end quote. So again, he, he, he goes on to say, therefore, how grave an insult it is that the one, Jesus, whom the angels proclaim as the loved one of God, and who emanated from the light of God, be termed as the one who distanced from God and regarded as the enemy of God. Woe that this disrespect of Jesus is embraced by 400 million people during this age. O honoured queen, do this favour to Jesus, the Messiah, and God will bless you even more. I pray that may God the Almighty inspire our beneficent queen's heart to carry out this task. End quote. I wish to end with the promised Messiah's prayer, peace be upon him, for Queen Victoria. And he said, and I quote, O powerful and merciful Lord, keep our honoured Queen pleased as we are pleased under the shade of her kindness. Be good to her as we are spending our lives under her beneficences and inspire her to graciously attend to these submissions as only you have that power. Amen, amen again. And that was submitted by the humble one, his holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmed the promised messiah so I just want to say thank you Jazakallah for this lovely engaging conversation all about all things jubilant and thank you to our guests Kutsi Award and Shazia Bhatti for joining us in today's conversation and thank you to the listeners too this has been another episode of Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio produced by Mrs Shamin Bhatt Assalamu Alaikum peace be upon you all